Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in lovely Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the upstate of South Carolina, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. Please go ahead and avail yourself of my contact information because I'd love to uh, meet new people, I'd love to make new clients, all of those things, so please let me know. And as well, if you like the show at all, please hit the little subscribe button. If you're using the Apple Podcast app, whether on your computer or whether on your phone or some iPad, some other device, please scroll down from the show page, from the show section of your app, and go ahead and hit the five-star button and leave a short little review. I'd really appreciate that. Um, This is show 150, which kind of blows my mind that I've done 150 episodes of this show, um, it's uh, it's been crazy. It's uh, it's been a fun time. I'm I'm glad for the opportunity that I've had to keep doing this. And it's just every time we hit a milestone like this, um, I'm just grateful uh, again for this opportunity and as well for you guys. I'm I'm really grateful for you guys, my listeners. Um, you encourage me to keep this going. You give me ideas for for episodes and uh, listen. I just appreciate all of that. And for those of you that have been clients, I appreciate you guys even more. And hopefully some of you that haven't yet, but have the opportunity to become my clients in the future, I appreciate you guys uh, and everyone in between, anyone that's listening to this. So today um, I want to talk about, this is just a, a little bit random, but it's just something that um, I've been mulling over in my head as uh, as you guys that listen to the show quite a bit know. I moved recently from Greer, from a production-built neighborhood known as Chartwell Estates, um, to a basically not a subdivision, um, actually to an older home that had already been renovated. Um, I got myself uh, a little bit of acreage. Um, uh, I got out of an HOA, all of that. Some things that, that uh, my family and I decided was what we needed for the stage of life that we're in right now. And in moving... I, I really experienced a lot of different things, but specifically when I was at Chartwell Estates, I was in that neighborhood for three years. Um, great neighborhood, uh, and and I really enjoyed my time there. Um, in those three years, I really found something fascinating about the dynamic between Chartwell Estates and another neighborhood across the street from it known as Shelburne Farms. Um, now, the reason why I find this a dynamic between these two neighborhoods interesting is because they were both built roughly around the same time. Uh, They are both production-built neighborhoods, uh, both at similar price points with similar builders, not the same builders, but similar builders, similar type of construction, and kind of targeting the same uh, types of, of potential home buyers when they were built. At the end of the day, very similar finishes, similar looks, all all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it, well, and before I get into that, I should just clarify one thing. So obviously, I know these neighborhoods well. I I lived in one of them. I lived in Chartwell Estates. Sorry, my uh, my phone just went off. Just started talking about something. I don't know what that was. Um, I lived in uh, Chartwell Estates, obviously for for several years. Um, I was on the uh, HOA board at Chartwell for a time. Um, and, and actually, this is kind of an interesting factoid. 
I have been one of the realtors in the two most expensive uh, sales that have ever happened in Chartwell Estates. Most recently, I listed and sold my home uh, just a few months ago, which was the most expensive home ever sold in uh, either Chartwell Estates or Shelburne Farms. And quite frankly, it's not even close. It was by a wide margin. Um, now, when I lived in Chartwell, I would often go across the street and take walks in Shelburne Farms. Um, and and some of my best friends and my, and my wife and my kids' best friends, they live over there. And we've spent a ton of time over there. Actually, um, church that I used to go to, our small group uh, used to meet at their house. Um, so we would go to Shelburne Farms even before we lived in Chartwell Estates like every week. And so, and so our kids have been over there at their pool, in their playground, all that kind of stuff. And so we've gotten to know even that neighborhood through a, a variety of means, not as closely as Chartwell Estates, obviously, um, but, but closely enough. Now, on a surface level, these neighborhoods look nearly the same, homes ranging from 10 to 20-ish years old um, in the exact same area of Greer. Like I said, these neighborhoods are right across the street from each other on Gibshoals Road, um, same school district. Um, they had, like I said, similar builders, uh, for a, a good portion of the homes in, in both neighborhoods. Uh, they both have a pool. They both have common areas. They both have sidewalks. They both have an HOA. That's about the same price. Um, but that is where the similarities end. Um, Charwell Estates, like most neighborhoods, had multiple phases of development. You'll, you'll see sometimes when you drive by a subdivision that's going up, it'll say, you know, phase three, blah, blah, blah. And, and then it'll invariably say uh, prices starting in the low 200s, but that sign is like five years old and actually prices are now in the mid 300s for the cheapest home. So I, I get questions about that sometimes. Isn't that false advertising? It's like, no, well, I think technically it's just an old sign. They can get away with it. Um, but, um, anyway, it's not uncommon for neighborhoods to have multiple phases of development. All that means is that they're opening up one, you know, one area of the neighborhood, developing that once they sell enough of that part of the neighborhood, then they open up another part of the neighborhood, will develop that, sell that, and then they'll, and then it just keeps going. And then they just keep opening up, uh, various parts of the neighborhood. And those are all just different phases. What's unique about Chartwell Estates is that, among these different phases, there were at least four different builders that built in the neighborhood. Um, and to my knowledge, I, I don't think that was the case at all at Shelburne Farms. I, I believe all of Shelburne Farms was built by Ryan Holmes. Um, I'm not aware that there was a second developer at any point in Shelburne Farms. But in Chartwell Estates, there was a variety of builders. Um, the, the two biggest ones were Sepala and uh, SK Builders. I, I believe also that um, that Crown or uh, and perhaps even Lennar was in there. And then there was also, and I don't know who built these, but there are some almost like uh, stately looking uh, houses right when you come into the community that have been converted into different things, including the clubhouse. The clubhouse was actually originally going to be a single family home. There was a builder that had an idea for, for making it. A really expensive neighborhood, but then that builder, uh, the way I understand it, ran out of money, and they only built three homes, and and then had to abandon. So, long story short, you've got one neighborhood, Chartwell Estates, that looks very different when you actually pay attention 
than this other neighborhood, Shelburne Farms, that was all built by the same builder. Chartwell Estates has just, uh, and again, if you look at it on a superficial level, you won't notice it. But if you look closely, you drive around, you'll see, oh, these homes on this side of the neighborhood look different than on this side of the neighborhood. Um, you'll see as well that uh, in Shelburne Farms, it's almost exclusively two-story homes. That is the vast majority of the homes in that neighborhood, whereas Chartwell Estates has a, a huge variety. There are two-story homes, not not actually a ton of them, but there are some two-story homes. There are basement homes in Chartwell Estates, um, and there's a lot of ranches, just single-story homes. Um, I, like I said, I don't know if there are any ranches in Shelburne Farms. There probably are, um, but the vast majority are, are going to be two-story in that neighborhood. Um, Chartwell Estates has a townhome section, so there's a whole row, um, actually a few rows, of just townhomes. Shelburne Farms does not have that. Um, in Chartwell Estates, and again, this is because of all these different developers that came through here and did a lot of different things, and there wasn't a clear unified plan for how to develop this neighborhood, um, the sidewalks in Chartwell Estate are a bit choppy and kind of nonsensical. Like, you don't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, like, when a sidewalk ends or when it begins. Um, there are, you know, uh, various, like, easements that cut up the sidewalks. Just not great sidewalks in that neighborhood as a whole, whereas Shelburne Farms, having that one developer, the sidewalks are fantastic. I mean, it's a great neighborhood to walk in. I already referenced that I would go across the street, and Gibshoals Road is not a pleasant street to walk across. Um but I would do that just so that I could get to uh, to those really nice sidewalks there in uh, in Shelburne Farms. Um, both neighborhoods have a community pond, but the Chartwell Estates community pond is pretty difficult to access without trespassing. And this was a big bugaboo for some of the people there that they would have people kind of cutting through their yard in order to access the community pond. Um, on the flip side, Shelburne Farm also has a pond, but it's extremely accessible viewable from a large portion of the neighborhood, and it's just right there in, in the middle common area. Like, there is no trespassing involved. You don't have to cut through anyone's yards um, or even come close to anyone's yard in order to, to get to that pond. Um, similarly, the common areas of Chartwell Estates are nearly non-existent. Um, they developed that neighborhood as much as they possibly could, and the main section that wasn't developable, they still took all the trees down. And, and then he even sold it to someone who doesn't keep up with the landscaping, which is very frustrating. Um, I, when I was on the HOA board, there was a discussion about, about purchasing that land back. And the person was willing to sell it back to the community for the price that he bought it for. And um, the HOA president refused and said, uh, and, and he basically had a bunch of yes men on, on the board. And so whatever he said was just done. Um, and, uh, he basically said, no, he, he has not, he can't develop it. It's not worth anything to him. If he wants us to buy it, it's going to be pennies on the dollar from what he bought it for. Um, so in, instead, uh, what we have is just an overgrown, uh, what could be a common area, but instead is actually private property. So you can't go on it. Um, so it's neither developable. It's also not usable as a common area. Whereas Shelburne Farms, on the other hand, um, when Ryan Holmes went in there, the middle portion of the neighborhood, they left all the trees up um, and, and they, you know, put a retention pond in there. And it kind of forms 
the central point of the community and it just gives it a more attractive look. Um, and there are trails back in there. I've never done any of the trails, but th there are some trails into the woods. Um, and it's just something, just an a nice little added bonus for the neighborhood. Um, Shelburne Farm also, in contrast to Chartwell, has has nice little touches like uh, dog poop bag dispensers near the sidewalks, metal benches by the pond, etc. Things that Chartwell Estates doesn't have. Okay, so I've just listed off a, a lot of key differences between these two neighborhoods. And you're probably thinking, well, Shelburne Farm sounds a lot nicer than Chartwell, right? Uh, yes, from a neighborhood standpoint, th that is a logical conclusion to come to. But between the two neighborhoods, by far, the nicer homes are in Chartwell Estates because Chartwell had the final phase completed by SK Builders, which in my opinion is one of the better, uh, among the cost-effective production builders, SK is one of the better ones. Um, and I... I'm, I'm not going to say anything negative about Ryan Holmes on here, but I would prefer SK Builders. Generally speaking, they do better touches on their homes, 30-year uh, roofs typically as opposed to 20-year roofs, granite countertops as opposed to laminate countertops, hardwoods, um, and nicer carpet as opposed to you know laminate type of floor surfaces, uh, nice crown molding as opposed to no molding. Um, just all of these things. They just do... They just make... A, a good home. Um, and Ryan Holmes is really just a budget type of developer. That That is their niche. Um, SK is, is just a step above that. Um, so here's where I find this all interesting. And this is where I'm going with all of this. We have one community, Shelburne Farms, in, in, in the same area as Chartwell Estates with a nicer common area and community amenities generally larger homes because a lot of those sk homes are ranches and they're and they're smaller um and then you have a community across the street uh that was built around the same time at least development started the first phase was around the same time with homes that were built nicer in general um and those nicer homes tended to be more in the final phases so they are also newer than the homes in shelburne farms um, and so what ends up being more important to people? Is it the home or is it the neighborhood? And from my time being in Chartwell, I felt like something changed in terms of people's perceptions of these two neighborhoods. And, and part of this isn't just a gut feeling from like hearing people talk at the pool. Some of this is just as I'm monitoring, I look at every home that comes on the market in Greenville MLS every day. And some of this is, as I see homes coming for sale, it's like, it it felt like something changed where like Chartwell Estates was consistently more expensive than Shelburne Farms for a, a good stretch there. And then something flipped. And so I decided, you know what? This is a, an interesting possibility. Let's go back and let's track over the past decade or so what exactly has happened. So I went back to 2010 to look at what these neighborhoods sold for on average, technically not average, but looking at medians. Um, obviously, I took out the townhomes because that's kind of a, a confounding type of uh, data piece. Um, so I only looked at single family detached homes, and I looked in uh, 2010 at both neighborhoods. And lo and behold, the numbers are 
almost identical. Let me pull these numbers up here. 2010 Shelburne Farms median list price was 154,900. So basically $155,000 list price and the median sold price was 150,000. Um, on the flip side, Chartwell Estates, the median list price was 147675 and the median sold price was 147500 So we're talking about the sold price, the, the median sold price between these two communities was different by basically $2,500, almost identical, a 1.67% difference. The price per square foot, also almost identical. And this is an important measure because, like I said, um, Generally speaking, Chartwell is going to have smaller homes than Shelburne. Now, there's one big exception, and that's actually the largest homes out of all of them between the two are in Chartwell Estates, those basement homes. But um, generally speaking, on average, the homes in Shelburne are larger than the homes in Chartwell. So we need to look at the price per square foot. Um, the price per square foot in Shelburne was $77.11, and in Chartwell, it was $78.23. Again, that's negligible. That's basically the same. Um, and I, let me pause for one second and just say this. I, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. When we look at the price per square foot, homes that are smaller in neighborhoods, the smaller homes tend to have a larger price per square foot. Uh, and there's a very simple reason for that, and that's that ultimately a home uh, or a neighborhood will command a certain value regardless of the size of the home. If it has three bedrooms and it has two bathrooms, it's just not going to sell below a certain price point. It doesn't matter if it's 1,100 square feet or 1,300 square feet. It's it's There's going to be a bottom, and usually that bottom is not as great of a difference. There's not as great of a difference between where that bottom is versus, uh, you know, where the price would be if the home were slightly larger. So what we see is typically in, in a neighborhood, the, the smallest homes have a higher price per square foot number than the larger homes. That's a very commonplace thing that we see. So we need to keep that in mind. So to account for that, what I then also did was I said, well, let's just look at the homes that are between 1,400 and 2,000 square feet. Sorry, I, I did 1,400 to 2,200 square feet because I wanted to take out those like 1,000 to, to 1,300 square foot homes because um, Shelburne Farms just doesn't have very many homes that size. So I wanted to to see what the difference was there. Shelburne Farms in 2010, uh, those homes, it was the same price. Again, uh, basically all Shelburne Farms homes are going to be between 1,400 and 2,200 square feet. It was $150,000 was the median. For Chartwell, it was $145,200. So Chartwell a little bit cheaper than Shelburne Farms in 2010. Now, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Chartwell Estate still had not finished construction in 2010. There were still homes being built. It still hadn't finished. I don't even know if it had entered the final phase yet. I'd have to do a lot of research to figure that out. It's not easy to, to figure that out. Um, either they hadn't started the final phase yet, or they were in the final phase and it hadn't been completed yet. And so we still have actually a couple more years of new construction happening in Chartwell Estates before uh, that neighborhood is completely phased out. And so um, that's a really important consideration 
when we're looking at that, that that's going to have a direct impact on these numbers. So let's jump ahead five years when all construction is complete between both neighborhoods. Um, Shelburne Farms now at this point starts to pull away a little bit. The median list price was 100, basically 180,000 for Shelburne Farms as opposed to Chartwell was 170,000. That's a 5.5% difference. The median sold price in Shelburne was 177,000. In Chartwell, it was 167.5, also a, five, a little more than a 5% difference. Um, the price per square foot, again, Chartwell with the smaller homes has a slightly higher price per square foot of, of $95.93. Shelburne was $90.29. Um, so Chartwell has the edge there by 6.25%. But then when you look at homes between where we have the biggest gap, homes that are between 1,400 and 2,200 square feet, uh, Shelburne Farms on average sold those for 175500 uh, and Chartwell for 160000 um, And so I draw a few, few conclusions for that. First off, we have some moderate uh, moderate price gains happening. R- remember that we're still in between 2010 and 2015, still pulling out of the Great Recession. Prices from 2010 through 2012 basically didn't go up. And and so if it sound if it sounds kind of crazy that the average price in Shelburne Farms in five years went from one hundred fifty thousand to one hundred seventy seven thousand, um, that that's not very much. Well, it, it's not very much in comparison to what we've seen more recently. But when you think about the dynamic that we were still we still had all of this economic stagnation, particularly in the housing market, um, that's that helps to explain what was going on there. But now we're starting to see the the median sold price went from being Shelburne being only 1.67% different to now it's 5.34% greater than Chartwell Estates. And so advantage to neighborhood versus home quality so far, 2015. All right, let's jump ahead another five years. And I'm trying not to get too... Uh, data heavy here. So just bear with me. This is going somewhere. But if we jump ahead another five years to 2020, something very interesting happens. And that is that the trend reverses. Now, the median list price in Shelburne Farms has now jumped up to to 210,000. But in Chartwell, it's 235,000. Now Chartwell is has completely reversed the script. Remember, it was behind basically five and a half percent in 2015 and 2020, it's now tw- uh, basically 12% higher list price than Shelburne Farms, and the sold price is 8.22% higher than Shelburne Farms, which sold for um, actually above what it was listed for. It sold for 213,000 uh, as the median, and the Chartwell median was 230,500. The price per square foot again now Chartwell extends to a 12% difference from 100 uh chartwell was 118,000 sorry $118.23 per square foot shelburne farms was $105.56 per square foot um and then if we look at the uh, again that between 1400 to 2200 square foot range homes just to to try to keep things as equal as possible between these two neighborhoods there's even a bigger gap um, Chartwell Estates sold those homes on average for 227500 and Shelburne Farms was at 196750 So that's a 15.63% difference. Um, so 
in 2020, Chartwell was dominating all of these numbers versus Shelburne Farms after Shelburne Farms had had been moderately winning in these categories for for all of these years. So what was happening? All right, I've got some theories here. Um, in 2020, we now have Shelburne Farms approaching as a community about 20 years old. Now, for production-built homes with builder-grade types of finishes, this is a bad time. Once they reach the age of 20 years old, it's a bad time for several reasons. Um, I've already alluded to many of these homes, when they're built, they have, by like a Ryan Holmes type of builder, they have 20-year roofs. So guess what? 20 years later, if they have not replaced those roofs, now those roofs are at the end of their lifespans. Well, what about other big things? AC units, water heaters, and kitchen appliances, those all are well past their normal lifespan at the 20-year mark. Guess what? A lot of people are trying to hang on for dear life, trying not to have to replace that AC unit, trying not to have to replace that water heater. Maybe they have you know, replaced some of the elements in the water heater, but it's rusted out. It's, it's not doing well. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, these homes come on the market and people see, ooh, all these things, all these big ticket items uh, really are needing to be replaced or, or are close to needing to be replaced. Um, additionally, you consider the, the interior elements of a builder grade home. A lot of things are going to be laminate. You're going to have laminate flooring. You're going to have laminate countertops in the kitchen, maybe even in the bathrooms. Um, you know, a lot of situations where flooring and, and countertops and whatnot are just going to have a tremendous amount of wear and tear. You're going to have cheap windows that after 20 years, cheap windows just really start to fail. Um, honestly, it, it starts happening sooner than that. Um, so all of these builder grade things that would have been utilized in this neighborhood, they're, they're just going to start falling apart. And, you know, that happens well before the, the, that 20 year marker. But just once these homes are starting to be sold around that time period, um, all of these things add up and it, and it hurts the resale value of these homes if they have not been updated. And even if they have been updated, you consider that all the homes in the neighborhood that haven't, that have sold, are now hurting the homes that have been updated. So there's just there's a lot of factors when it comes to all of this. Now, um, remember, in... 2020, Chartwell still has some homes that are less than 10 years old because the way I understand it, Chartwell can finish, finally finished building in 2012. So in 2020, there are still some homes that are less than 10 years old. And uh, and many of the homes in this community are going to have 30-year roofs, granite countertops, nicer flooring, all of these things. Uh, and so in spite of the nicer neighborhood dynamics over at Shelburne, Shelburne Farms, the we had this other dynamic going on in 2020 where that neighborhood had kind of reached you know the the middle aged the the I don't know what you want to call it the crisis point of production built homes that happens uh, when they're around that 20 year mark that they tend to uh, that it didn't go down in value obviously we still saw a value increase but in com in contrast to another neighborhood, in this case, Chartwell Estates, that had homes that were newer, um, it it hurt Shelburne Farms in comparison. However, since COVID, 
community amenities have been really, really important to a lot of people. And as I said earlier, this is where Shelburne Farms really outperforms Chartwell Estates. And so a fascinating thing happens when we look at 2022 sales. And so that's what I did. I, I looked at what happened the past year. Not only did Shelburne Farms recover, but it outperformed Chartwell Estates more than it had at any other time, with the only exception being price per square foot. Um, but even there, it pulled the price per square foot substantially closer. So here's what happened in 2022. The median list price in Shelburne Farms jumped all the way to $328,000. $328,000. It was $210,000 in on average or median in 2020. It jumped all the way to $328,000 in 2022. Charwell Estates, on the other hand, was at $269,450. Massive difference. Almost an 18% difference with Shelburne Farms ahead. The median sold price at Shelburne, 323500 just a tick below what the list price was. Chartwell actually sold for more than list price at 272450 but that's still a 15.78% difference in favor of Shelburne Farms. The price per square foot, like I said, Chartwell was ahead, but it was only ahead 7.21%. Remember, it was ahead 12% in 2020, so even that gap narrowed um, with the numbers being 162.48 uh, uh, per square foot for Shelburne Farms, and Chartwell was $174.19. So um, so even that gap, Chartwell is always going to beat, uh, unless something weird happens, I think we'll always beat Shelburne Farms on price per square foot simply because of having those smaller ranch homes. Um, but uh, even that gap got closed. And then if you want to look at that between 1,400 to 2,200 square foot uh, range in order to, to keep things as fair and equal as possible. Shelburne Farms still ahead by 13%. It was on average $316,000 for the median sale, not on average for the median sale, and Chartwell was $275,000. So um, really a, a very interesting turn of events that we had that happened in just a two-year period of time. And at the end of the day, here is my Conclusion. In our current housing climate, homes and communities with good amenities and laid out in a cohesive way, in other words, in the neighborhood, the homes are laid out in a cohesive way. They have good amenities. It's a good neighborhood to run in. It's a good neighborhood to walk in. It's a good neighborhood to have a dog in, to have kids, all of those types of things. They punch way above their weight in comparison to homes and communities that don't have those things. Um, and what that means, among other things, is that having a good HOA board is more important now than ever. Having a good HOA board that knows how to guide a community uh, and to use community funds is super duper important. Um, but also, a, a big conclusion that I have is, be, beyond all of that, is we do need to be more aware when we're building in production-built neighborhoods of, of that 20-year marker. That is a really important marker. Um, if, you're, if you don't intend to update your home over the years, um, you probably need to consider selling uh, before you get close to that 20-year marker for a production-built home. Now, if it's different, I think, if you do intend to upgrade your home. But then you have to remember, and this is the big deal, in production-built neighborhoods where all the homes are the same, 
that you don't over improve your home. Because just like I said that there is a floor whereby in these neighborhoods, homes won't, will not sell below that floor, even if they're small, there's always a ceiling whereby homes won't sell above that ceiling. And at the very least, appraisers will keep that ceiling in check. They will make sure that homes do not exceed a certain price point. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't matter whether you put in the nicest granite in the world. It doesn't matter whether you put in the most expensive hard, hardwood floors in the world. People are going to still treat your home like a production-built home at the end of the day, even with those types of updates that you've done. And so when we're looking at neighborhoods, there are different things to keep in mind in terms of where values will go over the years. But I think one thing we need to give more consideration to is what the neighborhood as a whole is doing. Is, is, it, is the neighborhood as a whole going in the right direction? And I'm not just talking about from a deferred maintenance standpoint, or there are a lot of people that have deferred maintenance, that have junky cars, you know, out on the street, all of these types of things. But is the community laid out well? Is it logical? Do they have nice common areas? Is there, do they keep up with their pool area? Do they, is it friendly for animals? Is it friendly for kids? All of these types of things that directly impacts home values in a very real way. And and what we've seen is a dramatic reversal, even in spite of Shelburne Farms seeing, not having as nice of homes as Chartwell Estates does, generally speaking, um, their home values have gone up dramatically in recent years. And my personal opinion is that that is directly related to the neighborhood. Um, and so, I use those two as an example because I know those two very well and they're very close to each other and they were built about the same time. So it's a good sample to pull from. But I think that this applies to a lot of other neighborhoods in the upstate and perhaps even outside of the upstate. As you guys know, I always caveat, I'm only a real estate expert in the upstate of South Carolina. I have no idea what's going on in Chicago or San Diego or Las Vegas besides some stats that I you know, look at online. Um, but I can only speak to what it's like here in the Greenville area. Um, now, if you would like to move to or within the Greenville area, you can feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any reason. If you enjoyed episode 150 of Selling Greenville, then please subscribe to make sure that you don't miss episode 151. I will be releasing episodes every single week as long as I can. Um, and so we'll have another one hopefully next week. And I would appreciate if you guys could hit the subscribe button, scroll down in your app and, and hit the five star button. Leave a short little review if you don't mind. And I hope you guys stay safe. We will talk again next week.